Hello, and welcome to episode 238 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories one page and one panel at a time. In this episode, we have a review of Rorschach 11 and 12 by DC Comics. Your creative team on Rorschach is Tom King Writer, Jorge Fornes on Art, Dave Stewart on Colors, and Clayton Klaus on Letters. This is your spoiler alert for Rorschach's 1 through 12, the HBO Watchmen series from 2019, and the Watchmen series from 1986. This is Matt, and I'm joined by Constructing Comics co-host Noah. Hey there. And so, I think we should change the... Uh the building um, building stories one page and one panel at a time because there's this line that I was like oh we should do this where it's like yeah um, I put the world in its place panel by panel by panel that's what I think we should change it to where it's uh, the line where we put the world in its place panel by panel by panel I do I do like that yeah so, uh, so when there's a new intro or maybe on special occasions we we bring that one out yeah maybe um so, but yeah sorry no no please um i just you know normally what we do is we do the, like the the general impressions um this time we're doubling up uh, 11 and 12 as we close out the series um so let's talk a little bit about uh you know general thoughts and then we'll do our deep dive yeah i generally loved it obviously like to the end like I just was like no I I I think this is pretty phenomenal across the board and that's based solely off of how it made me feel Mm -hmm. by the end of the book and I can't say it's a good feeling that you have at the end of the book but it's kind of like I don't know it's sort of like I wouldn't even compare it to like the HBO show or the original Watchmen book like it's got a darker connotation at the end Mm-hmm. But it kind of feels like the book has been building to this and it delivered. So you get to the end and you're like, yeah, of course, this is how it was going to end. And then, you know, you move on. So I, I think it's, I guess a good, a, a similar feeling would be to sort of like how you feel at the end of like Joker, that movie, where it's sort of like you get to the end and you're like, I like how I feel at the end of that film, even though it's not like an uplifting or good feeling, like, mm-hmm it's like a good unsettling feeling where like it really makes you think. So yeah, I liked it. What about you? Yeah. I, uh, you know, I felt like 11 felt more like everything we had been anticipating. So that sort of descent into madness and like, we really like amped that up and I felt like 12 was a conclusion, but I feel like, I'm still sort of processing 12 right now, like, cause it's a little bit open-ended. Yeah. Um, so like we've talked about how like good comics or like some of the comics that we really enjoy are the comics that like, you know, you read them and you're still thinking about them like three to four days later. Like, you know, you, you, you just be out doing something. You're like, Oh, like, you know, is what is this guy going to do now? Or like, what does that really mean? Or, or stuff like that. So I feel like 11 was just sort of that descent into madness that we've been on for, for all of those issues. And 12 was a wrap up, but not quite a wrap up. And I'm still like, I have unanswered questions, which is, which is a good thing. Yeah, I I agree with that. And obviously like, we'll get into it too about like ambiguity and sort of where that how that helps the comic and maybe if it hurts the comic because like 
in the realm of ambiguity, like you can kind of cop everything out, like where you're like, well, I can't tell you the answer to that. And it's like, that can also be like an excuse for lazy storytelling. I don't mm -hmm. think that's the case here, um, but it'll be interesting to talk about it too. It'd be like, how, how much does it suit the story to be open-ended in the end, you know? Yeah. Um, I'll be interesting to just, I'll be interested to discover that with you as we talk about this. Okay. So let's, uh, let's talk about 11. Um, you know, as we discussed sort of in that intro, it's the, uh, you know, that continuing descent into madness. And a lot of the, the start of this issue is our detective having a conversation with, with the kid, with Lori. Um, is that her name? I think it's just Laura. Laura, Laura. So, yeah. Um, you know, we continue to see this like discussion that's going, you know, going forward with one person that we know is like in the real timeline. And then we also know that like one person is sort of talking back to him through sort of what we anticipate are figments of his imagination as he's sort of at this point put most of the, uh, the clues to the story together. Um, what did you think about how we, we do this? Um, you know, we have a discussion um, between two characters who are not in the same time and space. And we also, you know, as we've discussed the coloring, you know, when it's with the detective, it's a lot of, you know, greens and blues. And when it goes to the kid, it's a lot of, you know, yellows and oranges, which I feel like we've seen those, have been those color, their colors throughout. Yeah, I really liked it. And one thing I liked about this too, and I think will make it interesting when you when you reread it, is that it's uh, it's two different, obviously, like realities going on at this time. And it's like, but it's also like two tracks of thinking. So he's solving one mystery at one point and then solving another mystery at the other point. So it's like he's asking questions about one side of the case in his reality, and then Laura's answering questions. Um, in her side of the reality about sort of I guess yeah like and both are sort of like it's like solving the whole mystery together but like doing two things at once which really makes it interesting but it also sort of is this cool like language to it like where you kind of at first are sort of like a little confused at the at the beginning of the book like trying to keep track of both things but then your brain kind of gets used to it and mm -hmm. starts to follow both stories as they're being being told so that was a really cool effect and sort of, again, playing to the strengths of what you can do in comics and maybe opening your mind as to like what comics can do in a storytelling fashion. So that was really cool. Um, this will be a one to be, that'll be fun to revisit in the future. Yeah. And I, I was, I'm flipping through the pages. And I think one thing that's interesting is that uh, the Rorschach um, character barely speaks in this one it's mostly a conversation between the detective uh and the kid um and he's just sort of you know at various points just sort of either sitting in the background you know early on he's sitting on the tombstone um and he's not really involved in the conversation you know and then this is a book called rorschach so that character is taking you know a real back seat here and letting the other two sort of flesh out you know what we have discovered what we're kind of feeling, you know, going through the vehicle as the detective. Yeah, I really like that. And um, it does definitely put you in. And I think having that like confusion and having like, you know, you following again, the descent into madness really is sort of a cool effect as well as like putting you into the shoes of the detective. 
Mm -hmm. So it's sort of like a visceral effect while you're reading it. Like it, like your brain, as you get used to the storytelling, like your brain starts to almost like, not like, you know, start thinking like a, uh, like a violent right wing, you know, from a zealot or anything like that. But like, you do start to sort of feel the like descent into madness, like uh, taking effect, um, which is really cool. So what do you think about the fact that like early on, um, when they're talking, um, you know, there's a little bit of this, like, is this real? But then the the beer bottle is sort of transferred between the two of them. And we still don't think this is real, but it sort of still establishes a connection that, like, we've gone from the real world and we can throw an item into this sort of world that, like, we're not sure is real um, you know, we have characters that we know are deceased that are talking to us. Like, um, it still makes us still confused, but it still, like, makes the connection, like, it gives us an item that's transferred from what we know is real to what we know is not real, but we're, we're, we're connecting them that way. Yeah, I, I liked it, and I guess this will kind of play into stuff in issue 12, but it kind of it does make us question the validity of the point of view of the detective, right? That he's, you know, but also it's kind of plays into issue 12 as well. Like the symbolism of the bottle and sort of what it means in the end is like being the final murder weapon kind of thing. Right. So maybe that's sort of the thing, like it being passed back and forth is sort of like a visual motif of like, this is going to be important. Mm -hmm. Like it was important in the last issue. It's important in this issue. It's going to be important in the next issue. And I'll be interested to go back and read the other ones and see like if the bottle plays a part in those issues as well. Um, yeah, I, I I thought that was interesting. I think it was a cool way, obviously, of again sort of showing, again showing not telling the madness. Yeah, I like that part of it. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I don't want to go like panel by panel through this one, but so, you know, early on, we start off with this sort of conversation that the kid and the detective are having. Um, and then, you know, we get more of the, the sort of the, the infiltration of the, uh, the political rally that we learned a little about earlier, how they do that. So that I feel like that's sort of like the middle part of the book where, um, more of these pieces are, are connected, but um, what are your thoughts about like how the how the middle of the book was handled? It was really good, and I like how. So the last last issue, I was like, I didn't know what the detective was doing with the bottles, but basically, what he found out was that the the bottle that was in the safe of of oats in the last one had the fingerprints of the campaign manager on it. That's what mm-hmm. he finds out at the beginning of this issue. So you're like, oh, and then you start to realize that that connection means that it was never Redford hiring um Meyerson and Laura to kill to kill Turley it was always Turley's campaign trying to frame Redford so that they would win the, the presidential election and they were just basically using two mentally unstable people to do it and then you find out like throughout the whole thing that it's like Oates sort of realized that like he didn't think that there would be a chance of them killing the of Turley but then like it became too real and he went to confront them and he died before that he had to kill his receptionist who was in on it too. And, um, 
then obviously like you know they had to let them know that let, let the the campaign security guy know that they were there so that he would kill them and um that part was like i thought that was a really satisfying like when they were un like unraveling all that it was like oh yeah that was all there the whole time it makes so much sense you mm -hmm. know that now it's like you know yeah like this this guy who was mentally unstable like would totally grab onto that and want to be like believe that it was some grand conspiracy um and uh i liked that part of it and i liked um i liked that they they did answer the question about why Myerson's fingerprints were the same as Kovacs from Watchmen, who was the original Rorschach, because it was basically just doctored by the guy who was running the tests because he was a Myerson fan. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought that was interesting because it was, it was something that was brought up at the beginning of the issue. And I don't remember if it was brought up ever again that their fingerprints and their DNA match the same. But what was cool about just bringing that up and then re like, you know, reinforcing the idea of reincarnation throughout the book makes sort of what Laura's speech at the end of this issue so um, effective because it's always been at the back of our mind of somebody taking possession of someone's body right mm -hmm. and just having that in the background obviously we find out that like it's not real it was faked but this is sort of like and it was obviously Myerson who put that in place basically to drive the next guy crazy you know, that, you know, that idea. And then to get basically for them to realize at the end, it's like, you know, uh, whether the reincarnation is real or the possession is real or not, that's not what matters. It's sort of like the symbolism of it all. And like the symbolism of Rorschach and what he represents is what matters in the end. It's not really like the physical sort of conspiracy about it. It's, it's like his ideologies infecting your brain and you then taking that next step to being the action of those ideologies, um, which I thought was really interesting. Um, what did you think about that reveal that like the fingerprints weren't, were doctored? Yeah, I mean, I thought that that was important that we came back to that because, you know, that clearly was something in the, like, I feel like an issue one where it was like, a, like an OS moment where like, what is going on here? How are we? you know, having this character that we saw in 1986, you know, just sort of be dispersed into atoms by uh, Dr. Manhattan. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like that was important that we came back to that. Uh, but I feel like you, you phrased that really well when you're talking about like, sort of like, how the, you know, the, 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 I don't know if this is the right way to put it, but sort of like the, the motif of Rorschach was just sort of like transferred, like, 1986, you know, we have this crazy person. And then we sort of like see that in Meyerson and we see that in Laura and we see that in the detective. So it sort of just, you know, transfers from person to person. Yeah, I like that a lot. And um, obviously like we get, you know, what we get what we've been in, like been thinking that we were gonna get just to sort of move on with the issue when the first time when Rorschach talks in this book Mm -hmm. it's sort of what we predicted last time where it's like Rorschach is going to infect this detective's mind the, like, the ideas of Rorschach are going to infect this mind and basically tell him to kill Turley you know 
And that was a really satisfying moment to get to that place. And obviously it's like, it wasn't too hard to get to that place, obviously prediction wise, but it's just sort of nice when it's like, oh, it's cool that they've been setting this up and then they do pay it off, you know, um, in the issue and also in the whole series. Yeah. So, you know, we've talked about the sort of what's real and what's not real. And we get, all, we, you know, we get that, we get flashbacks um, for our characters um, and as the issue sort of comes to a close, we get this standoff between Myerson and the, the Rorschach mask and the detective, um, you know, and then it appears that he's shot. And again, we know that like this, this can't be in, in reality. Um, and then the, the, the sort of detective gathers himself um, towards the end of the issue. Um, so, I have a question for you here, like the, this last page where he is getting on uh, the elevator with this sort of like, you know, the, this guy that's preaching the, is like sort of the, what he feels are the virtues of, of is it LA, what she's talking about? Yeah. What, what do you think is going on here? I kind of feel like this is sort of a um, like this is like the Rorschach, not the Rorschach test, but this is sort of the um, Turing test, I guess, for Rorschach, right? Is like how he responds to someone with very liberal ideas of things. Okay. This is just my first thought. Is that like, you know, Rorschach was always talking about like, how disgusted he was with people having sex and stuff like that, you know, and like their like liberal openness to things like this guy's like preaching sort of the, the liberal ideal that is LA, right. Where it's like freedom to express yourself and be yourself and be with who you want, that kind of thing, you know? Um, and then sort of his response to be the like Rorschach, hmm, that kind of thing is sort of like the disgust, maybe like you can interpret that as the disgust that Rorschach would have with that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I guess also it's sort of like a coming to terms with like the main character, this guy basically speaking Rorschach's thoughts, which are just like, why should I deny who I am kind of thing? Mm -hmm. You know, like when something's calling me to be like, you know, I don't know, like, like when it's something that I desire is calling me to be something that I know that I am, why would I not deny that call? Right. That kind of thing. You know, so like this guy, he's talking about a woman calling him and he's like, well, it's like 3 a.m. Why would I get up to do this? That kind of thing. He's like, but it's like, that's just how the city is, though. It's like it just calls you and you get there, you know, to to indulge yourself. Right. And I, I kind of feel like maybe that's also sort of an I'm not I'm not very I'm not phrasing this very well, but that's sort of what's been happening. This whole issue is that he's been fighting this call the whole time and then he finally gives in. You know, mm -hmm. that's sort of, I guess, so that's a long winded description of sort of what I think it is. Um, so it's two things, I guess. It's like the liberal, like the liberal reaction to a liberal person. And then also the sort of answering the call kind of idea. Yeah, I, I like, I like what you, what you are, are coming up with there. Um, and I can see that um, the cynical part of me was like, I was thinking about like, Tom King going to LA 
and like trying to get the new gods movie like being made and he probably got on elevators with like dudes like this that are like hey babe let's 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 get this let's get this deal done and like he does all of this work and then like he gets sort of you know nearly at the last moment he gets sort of the uh you know the the plug pulled and his and his movie wasn't uh going to be made so like i the the cynical part of me was thinking that tom king was putting himself into sort of his characters as we we feel like he has done in the in the in the past i think you're probably right because like it's funny because like i interpreted that one speech and with like frank miller as sort of like the grander scheme of like the state of comics and then like listen to and jonathan interpreted as so that's Tom King talking about Mr. Miracle. And then um, I was like, and I was like, yeah, I think that's one way. And you can look at it this way. And then Tom King went on an interview and he was like, no, that was me talking about Mr. Miracle. And so I think, <laughs> I think it is, I think it is you guys. I think you're probably right that it is like, it's just Tom King writing from his own perspective. Yeah, I think so. I agree. Well, which is, which is really good. Cause you know, you're told to, to write what you know. And yeah. like, you know, he's writing what he knows and he's fitting it in to the narrative of of the story so yeah like and there's another sort of uh fourth wall breaking thing that happens in in 12 that um, yeah i want to i want to talk to you about but let's uh let's let's move to 12 the uh the final issue um you know so i feel like you know 11 was sort of like we said it was descent the, the, the final part of the descending into madness. And this is sort of like the detective trying to, um, you know, figure out what he wants to do to sort of conclude with all of the things that he's learned in the, uh, the part of the, uh, you know, the investigation of this case. So what are your thoughts on 12 and, and how it sort of starts off or just in general, and then we'll sort of go like beginning, middle and end. I was on edge the whole time I was reading this comic, like, truly in suspense not knowing what was going to happen or dreading what was ever was going to happen and sort of when the when the shoe drops when the other shoe drops i guess it's like holy smokes like it's just like i like i i don't know it, it like it felt like listening to claire de lune but like in a mad like like going nuts way that kind of thing where it's like it's like you could hear like the symphonies of insanity going off mm-hmm. in your minds like once it happens and you're just like but then like you have a brief moment of like exhaling but you're sort of like sorry inhaling at that point and then like you just like again like you you're on edge almost until the end of the issue like you have a brief moment of being like oh crap and then it's still like on edge like you're still like whoa how is this gonna end you know as you go through it and it's um I, I, I'm very happy to say I did not see the ending coming. I kind of was expecting something ambiguous. I didn't know what type of ambiguity it would be or how, how abrupt it would be. And so I was, I was not expecting the ending. But what, what, what do you think of this issue? Yeah, I was, uh, you know, I was obviously nervous. Um, you know, the buildup that we had, you know, for 11 issues um, and I guess we should say that sort of 11 ends with him sort of getting the call that uh, he needs to come in and and, and have this conversation. Um, and that's what we saw sort of at the end of 11. Um, yeah, but certainly the sense of dread um, is sort of 
pulled out through, you know, a lot of talking in the office for like the first, uh, you know, five or six pages. So um, it was certainly um, like, what's going to happen? I know something's going to happen. I only have so many more pages to go in this, like, what's going to, you know, what is it going to be? When is it going to happen? Um, and the fact that it didn't happen really early, sort of like, again, sort of, it's like, oh no, like, I got to turn the page. Here's, a, here's another two page of these two guys or three guys sitting in the office sort of discussing. It's like, nothing's going to happen yet. I need to get through these pages, which I'm really interested to, you know, see what they're discussing. But I'm also like, we only have so many more pages. We need to, we need to find out what's, what's going to happen. So it was, it was, it was a good sort of like um, way to sort of delay the, the gratification of, of getting the, the answer clearly, you know, one of the ways that we could have done this was just sort of like a splash page, like, you know, flip the page and what happens midway through the issue, we could have done that and been like, and that would have been another OS moment, but we were sort of like, you know, we had to wait for it for a little bit, which, which was an interesting way to do it. So, so what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I had the exact same effect and it's, uh, it, it had the exact same effect on me because I was thinking about the length of the book the whole time. And what's interesting about like these, these books is that they have the ads in there. Mm -hmm. So you never really know sometimes like what's the last page. Cause like, you could be like, well, that could be the last one, you know? So you could get to the double page spread and I'm like, the last couple uh, pages could just be an ad for uh, whatever the fear, the new Batman fear book, whatever that is. Right. That kind of <laughs> thing. And I'm like, cause like there have been issues of DC books that I read recently where it's like, yeah, the last chunk is just like a preview for whatever the next big event is. So it was sort of a, a like, I was kind of scared of like where it would leave me, you know, mm -hmm. like, is it going to leave, would it leave me after he kills Turley and spoiler alert, obviously yeah. after he kills Turley and the, campaign manager like will it end after he gets out on the street you know um like yeah i was like i was kind of freaked out about that like i think that's uh obviously i don't think tom king's thinking about like how many ads are going to be in the back of the book or whatever you know while he's writing it but there is something maybe it's tangible maybe i just don't know enough about script writing but it feels intangible this dread of where it's going to leave you, you know? And I think that sort of is baked into like how we know how long a comic should be or how long it shouldn't be, you know, and everything. Right. So yeah, it was a truly tense issue. And uh, again, I like how unsettled I was at the end of it. Um, it's a, it's a cool feeling. So do you think a little bit of that is, is that the fact that this is 12 issues and it had been drawn out over a year that like, uh, Tom King was able to play with us for like another six pages of like, I don't have to pay it off just yet. I can, I can delay it. Like if it was like a, uh, uh, you know, a six series, six issue, like, um, you know, company wide sort of epic event, like he wouldn't have this much time for like the decompressed storytelling, but the fact that it's a 12 issue maxi series, he gets another, six pages to sort of make us wait for it a little bit longer after, you know, and thankfully like all these books came out, you know, 
on time. It was basically, I feel like an issue every year. So we've been on this ride for a year and then like, it's like, all right, I'm here. I'm going to get answers. And then it's like, you're not going to get answers until maybe two thirds of the way through the book. So you feel like that was a little bit of uh, by design as well. I think so. Um, especially with what we know about the book and how much this is like a, I mean, I've, it's not like John, like Tom King pulls things out of his ass or anything like that, but like, we know like from interviews and, you know, things that we've seen from him. And, and I think also us, you know, when we got, what little we got to talk to him at awesome con, this book means a lot to him, right? Like this mm-hmm. is something that's not like, a, like how it was for Batman or even, or anything like that. Like this is something that's like a pure expression of something inside him. So I, yeah, it almost feels like, uh, like, I'm not like, it's not, doesn't, it's not, it doesn't read like a Tarantino thing or anything like that, but like, kind of like how, Tar- how Tarantino prides himself in sort of being like how he draws out tension and how he knows he's playing with his audience. Like there is that feeling in there where it's like, I, I think that that is baked into it where it's like, Tom King, I think, and I think how this book ends sort of also fits with this is that he knows the type of fanboys that this is really going to affect in the end, right? Mm-hmm. So he knows that guys like you and I who read a lot of comics are really going to be affected like this because he's one of those fanboys too, yeah. right? So basically, like, and I think this is sort of something I was thinking about because I was like, the ending of this kind of reflects back onto the idea of fandom and fandom has sort of been brought up throughout this series about how people read comics, how they, you know, express their fandoms and things like that. And that's sort of baked into the whole, um, that's baked into the mystery of this whole thing and how this, how the events have played out. And that the move, the book basically ends with the main character going to a midnight screening, which is like, again, one of those events that's reserved for hardcore fans of something mm-hmm. of Pontius Pirate, which is like the big sort of equivalent of like a tentpole blockbuster, right? based on a comic book, you know, I think that that sort of is sort of like a, uh, I don't know, like, I don't know how to interpret it, I guess, in a like meta way, but it is sort of, I think it is proof that he knows what effect this has on fanboys, right? Like a comic fanboys. Yeah. So I, I think so. Yeah. I, yeah. that's, that's, that's really interesting. And, and I like the way you put that. So, you know, at the beginning of this issue, we, we have the meeting um, and we have a lot of drawn out um, time of like, we know that we have this tape recorder and we keep, keep being shown this tape recorder throughout. And eventually sort of midway through the issue, uh, the tape recorder is put down with a, um, you know, a nine panel grid, which is, which is Watchmen, you know, the nine panel grid. And it's just sort of like, moving in closer and closer and closer on the uh the tape recorder um and again you know we're filled with the sense of dread like what are we going to hear on this tape how are the people who are listening to this how are they going to react how are they going to be able to take action from what they hear on this tape so i i felt that like going to the nine panel grid here um, which they have relied on time to time, but stayed away from. I thought that was an in- interesting choice. Yeah, I thought so too. And again, it was a good way of being in suspense of 
for me, it was like, I didn't know whether, well, this, uh, so I guess there's one thing in this. So I, I think I made an, uh, an assumption on issue 10 because we never saw the tape recorder of the confession of the girl's suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, and really we never see that in the whole thing, like whether that was that, if that evidence ever really existed, they only ever talked about it. Mm-hmm. And, um, but when the, uh, when he presses play and then all the sound effects start happening and you see the, the, the bubbles, I, I kind of, I now in retrospect, I'm like, oh, I don't think it's like, it's, it's pretty obvious that it's not coming from the tape recorder. But when I was reading it, I didn't know if it was coming from outside the tape recorder or if it was something on the tape recorder that like he was playing. So I was thinking like that sort of was a level of suspense. And then obviously you turn the page, you see the bloody hand and stuff like that. And then you start to figure it out. So, but that, that was my, my, that's how my brain worked through this. And I don't know if that makes me just sort of like dense or if that's, if anybody else felt that way while they were reading it. No, I think that speaks to sort of the, the re um, sort of, you know, reading of comics. Like, you know, you could take something at first you know, first read as surface level, like, oh, they just press play on the record. They're hearing sort of the, uh, the, the background noises and what's going on. And then when you, you know, you flip back, you're like, oh crap, that's not from the tape recorder. That's from, you know, the actions that are taking place in the room. So I, I think that like, that's one of the cool things is like, I mean, I guess you could rewind a movie and like rewatch a scene with what you knew and sort of go, oh, okay, that's what they were doing there, but they, they they sort of tricked me. But like, you know, when you read a comic and you're like, hey, wait, what's going on? And you flip back and you go, oh, this is what's happening. Like, this is the way that you can, you can do that. So I, I think that like, it was designed that way to be like, okay, I'm hearing the noises that are being played from the tape machine. And then you read the next page, another nine page or nine panel page, and you're like, when you see that bloody hand and you might sort of be like, for one thing that felt me, filled me with a sense of dread was I was like, whose hand is that? Mm-hmm. Um, but then like you can flip back and go, oh, wait, those are, you know, noises of chaos and, and, and violence taking place. So um, as I said, I was filled with dread because I was like, whose hand is that? because you know we have three white guys in the room and then we see a white <laughs> we see a white hand come down um filled with blood and at this point we're like whose whose hand is that um so again you know we're building on that that sense of dread and and what we're going to find out um but i think you were spot on with that like we were supposed to um at first glance first read take that as the sounds um coming from the tape player but then when we what we learn on the next page, if you go back and you're like, oh, what did I just experience? You flip the page back. You're like, oh, that's not what I thought I was experiencing. What I'm hearing is, is the sounds in the room um, of, you know, violence and chaos. Yeah. And I kind of what's interesting looking at it now is that when he puts the tape recorder down, there's no sound effect for him, like turning on the tape recorder at all. And it doesn't like they do the click when he does turn on the tape recorder on the second nine panel grid page. Um, yeah. 
Uh, so there was like, there were clues there. So I'd be interested to talk to Tom King about that and be like, did you want us to sort of think that all those sounds were coming from the tape recorder or if it was like a, like, no, you were never supposed to think that. Um, yeah, but I, I, one thing I think that's interesting about this is sort of like, again, we don't know if that, that confession from the receptionist ever existed and if it doesn't, if it matters at all, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, but I also guess wonder is that um, with him killing Turley and the campaign manager, he never gets confirmation from them that any of his, like what he figures out in the last issues are real or not, you know? Like he, you never find out by the end of this issue whether like nothing is ever confirmed before our eyes if what he's doing is justified at all, right? You know? Yeah, you're um, saying that like we never sort of get like the the Bond villain speech where like Turley's like, you got me. I, I set this up the whole time and I was pulling strings through the, you know, behind the scenes you, you you figured me out but it's too late for you mr bond like we never we never get that moment yeah there's never any incriminating evidence shown to us about that and so that's the ambiguity of it all where it's like oh dude did he just kill like you know a, a political you know a presidential candidate just because he's gone insane you know um like criminally insane uh and yeah, that's that, that that's something that's interesting because like there's never a moment where like even the campaign manager overplays his hand and gives himself away or anything like that. Yeah, and he's sort of been an unrelate or unreliable uh, narrator since I would feel like issue two or three, where we first sort of got introduced to the fact that like he was seeing Lori or Laura. And, and, you know, Meyerson in the Rorschach mass sort of coming in and talking. So we always, or for the longest time, have felt that he's been an unreliable, unreliable narrator, or narrator. I'll get that out sometime <laughs> the right way. It's all good. Um, but yeah, so we, we flip the page and we get the, the huge double page splash looking down to uh, two dead bodies and our detective. Um, and at this point, we know whose bloody hand that is. Yeah, the great um, splash, double page splash. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, is traditional, right? I think so, because I was thinking about that on the last issue when he does the um, close-ups on uh, Meyerson drawing the pages and stuff like that. Like, I'm like, I really want to know what those original art pages look like and how much of it maybe is him going in afterwards and digitally manipulating those to make it look like it's zoomed in close on brush lines and things mm -hmm. like has that resolution to it um but I, I i i think he is traditional but there are times where i'm like i don't know maybe he isn't so why why are you bringing that up oh i just wanted to like imagine like this as a uh, a two-page spread that you could buy of uh, of original art and like what it might turn into yeah no kidding like because uh, this is this is like the uh the moment that we've all been building for 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 a year so like i would just imagine like if you could if you could own a page like from from rorschach would or like two pages like would this be what you wanted to own yeah would this be your jim lee connecting x-men cover <laughs> if you're a rorschach fan 
So, yeah. So uh, let's let's close this out. So, um, you know, from here, we sort of get the uh, the detective making his exit out of the the hotel that they're staying at. Um, so, you know, we, we see the bloody hands. We see the detective sort of trying to, to clean up. I guess he does a good enough job because the uh, security guard outside doesn't see him. Uh, we see a little bit of that, um, you know, bloody hands of the uh, of Turley um, and the uh, the aide. And then I want to talk a little bit about this page. That's sort of the uh, one, two, three, four, five, six long shots. Um, I guess we can see that he's pretty cleaned up at the at the end of that. Um, but you know, at, at now we're sort of we're filled with the dread of is he going to to get out of this this building with all the security around him? Yeah, and I like how they have a a not so subtle watchman homage with the the, the blood on the turley button. Um, that was pretty cool. Yeah, and, pretty- uh, yeah, but yeah, I'm I'm I like this. Yeah, again, the tension just sort of ramps up when he gets outside the office and. and and you kind of have that dread, like it's, it's again, it starts to build back up. And I think in that page that you just brought up with the six panels, like the six horizontal panels, mm-hmm. the dread sort of builds up again. And I think it's sort of something to be said about like, when you're drawing a comic, when you're drawing a page like this, where it's like the same background in each panel, it's kind of like a high wire act where you're like, you know, the spot, the difference thing, like, especially if he's traditional or if it's just like drawing over and over again, like your eyes sort of like, I don't know, like it, it does something different to like how you pay attention to it because then you start to like wanting to spot the differences, you know, mm-hmm. and like want to make sure that the artist like executes everything perfectly so that everything looks like it's the exact same across the board. Um, it's kind of like a, like a, a long take in a movie, right? Where it's like, it adds tension because it's like one unbroken shot and you're like, oh no, how are they going to get through this? That kind of thing. Like I, I kind of feel it's a sort of similar thing in comics when it's like, the same background in each panel kind of thing. There's sort of attention to that. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Um, and again, you know, we talked about this earlier that there was a lot of people um, and I'm thinking about when, when Meyerson confronted the guy um, in his building um, where the people sort of walk through the panels. Um, mm. So we sort of get another one of this where the detective is going to get his jacket taking it off the hook, putting it on and walking through the door. So this is somebody um, walking through the panels and, and creating action and, and walking through the page, um, which we had seen earlier. And I, I just really, from a design point and, and thinking about storytelling, um, even though this is a pretty simplistic page, it's, it's very effective in that the, the, the movement to you know get my jacket, put my jacket on, I'm going to go through the door like that could have been done in what three panels, but it was, you know, we're like, Oh, what's going to be on the other side of this door. So instead of like hitting us like one, two, three, they hit us one, two, three, four, five, six. And they made us wait for it a little bit longer, which we've talked about a lot through this. What's interesting also is that he's looking back and begin the whole time, you know, you brought up in the previous issues when he's walking places and they do this sort of long, take I guess of him walking out of something you know eventually Rorschach and Laura pop up behind him following him Mm -hmm. and here he looks back and he doesn't see anything 
And I don't know, again, that may let me be reading into it too much, but maybe this is also just another thing where it's like, now that he's finally acted on the impulses that have been growing inside in this whole series, they're gone, you know, like he's left alone with only sort of the ideas of Rorschach in his head. Um, yeah. No, that's well, a really, that's a really good point. Like, cause you could read it two ways. Like, is he taking one glance back at the the two guys that he just murdered or is he like, you know, is this chaos of, of these two people who have been following me throughout this journey? Are they, are they going to show up to sort of taunt me and be like, Oh, guess what we made you do. And you know, you finally have broken. So like, you can, you can look at it in, in multiple ways, which is, which is interesting. Yeah. And, um, What's also interesting, I guess, is the dialogue that's going on with the speech that that's on the tape recorder that Charlie made about like, you know, he's talking about the American dream, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, it's sort of this like uh, conservative manifesto, I guess you could say like uh, it's. Um, you know, like it's sort of interesting is that like there were sort of similar ideas kind of conveyed by Myerson in the previous issue where it's sort of this like you know, Ayn Randian philosophy where it's like, the, like, you know, the highest, like, you know, like the, I guess like the highest, uh, I don't know, I can't, I guess I'm not doing a good job, but I guess like the objectivist philosophy is sort of there in the previous issue with Meyerson's ramblings and also right here with Turley's ramblings, which is really interesting. Um, so it's kind of like, I don't know what that means though. Like I, I saw, I have to like, I have to think about that a lot where it's like, what does it mean when it's like, you know, Rorschach is sort of infected by this sort of objectivist ideology and, but, but Turley is preaching that ideology and then Rorschach kills him. Like, I, I don't know what that means. Um, yeah. And it, it kind of bleeds into the ending as well when, when he gets to the theater. So I, I won't hold this up anymore on that front. Uh, yeah. I I think we'll get to the theater in a second. I'm just wondering if it's a little bit of like, if you think about like objectivism and like the on Ron is like, do what's best for you. Right. Like, so like, if you look at the two party system and like, I don't want to get too political here for, but if you look at the two party system in the United States, you could clearly put that to both sides that it like you're doing what's best for you, like you could clearly pervert that in either way. So I'm wondering if it's a little bit of, of that, is this like, you know, um, in sort of that philosophy there to just show that like this objectivism and there's, you know, I guess there's still some debate if like Ditko is like full on, on Ron, you know, objectivism, but like, I wonder if there's a little bit of that at, at play right there. Yeah, and I guess uh, there is more of a unity preached in Turley's speech than a sort of like individual centric speech as well. But it, it is, um, yeah, I guess that it'll be interesting to see what, what if people ever do uh, conversations about the philosophy in this book, about what it has to say about objectivism and Ayn Rand's teachings. So I'll be interested to see that. Yeah. All right, so let's let's close this out here. So we we've talked about this a little bit earlier that like the the way this ends up is like he gets out of the hotel and he goes to a uh, a midnight showing of uh, the the pirate film. Um, and again, you you spoke to a little bit about how like this 
this comic is made for people who are really in the comics. Like they get Frank Miller, they get, you know, um, Meyerson, who is a Ditko analog. They get the whole, um, and why am I drawing a blank on the, the creator who does the seances? Um, oh yeah. Otto um, Bender. Yeah. Yeah. So like, this is really um, made for people who really are into comics and you you pointed out the fact that like somebody who's going to go to a midnight movie is somebody who's really into that so you know we get that um, we're able to sort of tie it back to the stuff that Myerson was doing um, as he watches the midnight movie and that's that's sort of how it ends um, the thing I wanted to ask you was um, on this next to last page when when Myerson is I'm sorry not Myerson when the detective is going in the two guys that are coming out um did that take you out of the story for a second or that yeah it, yeah it took it me it, it took me out of the story for a second like because I always think about like I was thinking about this earlier that like there was an issue of Manhattan's projects where like Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo were in the background and it was like a funny sort of like jokey book so I'm like ha 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 that's funny but this like took me out for a second like I'm like I'm trying to wrap my head around like how this series is gonna end up and you just sort of give me this visual cookie that like took me out for the story for a second and then I sort of had to like bring myself back into the mindset of like oh I have this page guy sitting in a movie theater sort of with this dialogue going on. So like, it was funny, but it took me out of the story for a second. Yeah, I agree. Like it, it works in something like Manhattan Projects where it's goofy or in like Mr. Miracle when they had all their cameos in that book because that book is surreal and sort of having the sort of fourth wall break of having all the creators in a couple panels, like that's, that's interesting. But yeah, here, where again, what we've talked about this whole episode is that this is for, like, I mean, it's not, I mean, it's obviously just like not people who aren't into comics obviously can read this comic and get enjoyment out of it. Mm -hmm. But like there are like things designed for hardcore comic fans to get. And so if you know who Tom King is, you know that this is Tom King in the panel. And that's, that. I'm guessing that's Jorge Fornes walking alongside him. Um, so it's like that right there is sort of like, that does take you out, especially after all we've talked about where it's like, this book is designed to be read by and enjoyed by the most by comic book fans, right? Like that's the demographic this is going for. Um, and that's not, I don't have a problem with that because like, that's what Watchmen is, you know, it's designed. That book is designed around the idea that you've read comics before. And mm -hmm. obviously it's a brilliant book, whether you've read comics or not. And I would say the same about this book, but there is a, demographic that that book is aimed towards so yeah it did take me out a bit but i do like how the last page wraps everything up um and i i, I kind of caught this where the sort of the last the speech of the pirate is basically like a no compromise mm -hmm. thing and that's sort of a it's sort of a rehash of of rorschach's speech in watchman where he talks about how he's not going to compromise even in the face of armageddon at the end of his life like that's sort of uh, that's sort of what I took at it as a reference to. So it's sort of like at the end, uh, the detective is smiling, knowing that that's sort of what has infected him, like that ideology. So I like the ending. Um, what did you think? 
No, no, I liked it uh, as well. I, I, I thought it was a, uh, a key way to sort of tie everything together without sort of giving us a, a firm conclusion. And that does look like I, I just did a uh, I went to uh, Jorge Fortas's Twitter account that that looks like that looks like him. Okay, um, that's what the confirmation. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I liked it. Um, I was like, so let's sort of talk about uh, our feelings on on how it ended. And I think that might lead us into to predictions. You know, we always thought that the detective wasn't going to make it out of this, which yeah. at this point he has, which leaves it a little open ended. Um, so. You know, I, I feel like we covered 11 and 12 pretty well. So if you want to move into to predictions, um, if that's okay with you. Um, I kind of predict this to be a one-off. I don't think that it'll, it'll come back in any way. Like, I don't think the detective will come back in any meaningful way. I think his story has ended. Like, I think, like what we talked about is, is that the story that this book was telling was his descent into madness. And I think he's reached that point. So I think his story's over. Um, I don't know what you do with him afterwards. So anything that you do afterwards obviously would be bad. So I trust Tom King enough to be like, it's done. Leave it off, you know, with this character. And if he comes back to Watchmen, I doubt he'll come back to this specific storyline. Um, yeah, that's my, that's my prediction, I guess. What about yours? I think that would line up. I, I feel like if they do something Watchmen related, they'll do something that's a tangent that they can relate it to this sort of the world that they've, they've set up. And I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, so this is my prediction is that, that the next possible one and, and Jim Lee has got his pencil out right now. He's writing this down. Yeah. Is, well, he's uh, sitting next to you, which is really great. I'm <laughs> glad he was able to make it to the recording tonight is uh, I, I would see Lori Blake coming in to investigate um this because while this is not completely uh, well actually it is a little bit this is you know mass vigilante um you know cases that and that that's what she was in charge of or or part of the task force was this like you know mask vigilantes and, and, and people that were still wearing masks so like would you have like a Lori blake coming in and trying to figure out what happened to turley and the um you know the the aid that that have been killed like to sort of like put the pieces together you could continue sort of the detective story um and give us a uh a story that way so that would be my prediction and jim is writing all of this down right now thank you yeah i was hoping he would and he can get on mic if he wants to but he doesn't want to so he's too busy no he just streaming he, he just waved he just waved me off he said he was busy making notes okay um so the yeah i yeah i would like to see that like i, I wouldn't mind just seeing a fornes king book about Lori. like i think that would be the next really cool Watchmen book if they ever were did to do another Watchmen book um I, I you remember at that one spot um in the the panel we got to see an awesome con where they were talking where King and and uh Jared's were talking about their next project and how excited they were uh, and how they sort of had broke it like that day yeah yeah um 
but they didn't tell us what it was. No. And I don't think anything has come out about it. What do you think the odds of that being a Watchmen book are? Mm. Uh, I, I mean, I know this is not the best answer, but 50-50? Like, yeah, I think it goes I, half. I think it actually maybe now that I say it out loud, I kind of feel like maybe it's even less than that because they've kind of carved out a niche of taking sort of the C-list DC characters and making books about them. So I guess it would be more of like uh, more likely a booster gold book or something like that. Or, you know, uh, I guess there's another series. There's a booster gold series coming out soon with DC. So I don't think it'll be booster gold, but something like that, I guess, uh, more than it would be a Watchmen book. Um, yeah. I mean, and part of me almost feels like I would like to keep my King Jared's like in a different lane. And if we're going to come back to this, like I want to keep this, this team together. So like, yeah, if we're going to do some sort of spinoff or continuation, let's just keep the King Fornes and then let's let King Jared's do like, you know, what, whatever wacky sort of, and I, I don't mean wacky in a bad way, but just sort of like, you know, like we've heard the story of like, they were like, we need to figure out our next story. And like, they see like the, the Adam Strains, you know, omnibus on, on Mitch Sherrod's shelf. And are like, let's do that. Like, just sort of like, I feel like that would be awesome to sort of keep that sort of motif together. Yeah, I agree. So uh, this, not, not to drag this out any longer, but who would you like to see work on in a Watchmen series, like a Watchmen spinoff like this? uh next if you like not not tom king or, or jorge Fornes, it has to be a new team oh wow so this is not going to come as any surprise but i would love to see a hickman sort of take on the the watchman universe just sort of like like a, almost like a black monday murder like meets watchman where it's like um a little bit of like that occult stuff is going on but then there's a little bit of like the detective work going on so i feel like you know, so if I'm going to dream cast, I'm going to do, uh, I'm going to really go out on a limb here. It's going to be Hickman and, and Lee Weeks. Oh man, that would be awesome. Hickman and Lee Weeks. Cause I feel uh, like Lee Weeks would like, I feel like his style is so classic and clean yeah. that like it just can do anything like, which is like this Fornes work was like classic and clean it looked like a Mazzucchelli like comic. And I just feel like, you know, if we're going to honor sort of like 1986 and like that sort of like magical year of like comic storytelling, like let's, and not to say that like it would be bad, but like, I couldn't imagine like a Daniel Warren Johnson, like Watchmen book, like no. it would be, it would be great, but I would just be like, what am I looking at right now? Like, this is not, this is, this is just sort of like a bad, and a bad use is like a bad like way, but this is like not the proper use of like this talent. You don't want an artist who uses, who needs to use speed lines in their work. Like that's so important to their style. Right. Like, I think that's so important to like Watchmen is that it's, it is a comic without speed lines. Like it is static, you know, and Tom King and, and Lee Weeks, I mean, can do action but like he always has this like painterly staticness to all his panels yeah and think and think about those think about those sort of like uh the 
the the Batman issues that we love so much were just sort of like the courthouse drama, like it was yeah. just sort of like the talking heads just sitting at a table. But you haven't answered the question. Of, of, well, I, I kind of wanted to build off of that because I'd want to see them do Night Owl with that and do like an upper class drama like Black Monday Murders because like it'd be about Dan um, and Dan would be like sort of embroiled in this like I don't know like maybe legal trouble and like him trying to like navigate his like financial world of like being born rich and stuff like that in like a watchman way like you could sort of explore like class difference and stuff like that and I think that would be like perfect for Lee Weeks as well like you said like so you get that courtroom drama that like moody lighting of people sitting around a table and then you have Hickman doing the like satire of wealthy people that he's so good at you know um yeah that's sort of who i'd like to see them do if you if you're if you're gonna pitch it to them to make it so well jim is jim is first furiously writing notes down i I, uh, I i saw it like there's smoke coming <laughs> off the page um but let uh, me but, i i i just real quick before we wrap up um but dan is in prison in this world yeah so like you could do something where like he works with the feds to sort of um you know reduce his prison time and and, and get out so like that's one way you could sort of like start it off is like he reluctantly sort of like goes you know hey you know i know a little bit about this stuff and like let me help you out so yeah you could you could do it that way yeah and my answer is really simple it's and it'll never happen. So that's why I'm, I can dream is I just want to see a Brubaker Phillips Watchmen book. And uh, yeah, that's it. So it's like, it's like, I just want to see that and um, it'll never happen. So it'll be like, but like, that would be, that is something I can dream about though, especially after reading this book and how good it is. It's like open my mind, this plus the HBO show have opened my mind to like people actually being able to tell good stories in this world. Um, so it's like, you know, then I, like, I think if anybody could do it and if ever, anybody would do a really good job, it would be Brubaker and Phillips, but it'll never happen. So, yeah, that would, that would be awesome. And like, uh, you, you could do like a good cop, bad cop, sort of like Dan and Lori sort of yeah. on the case, like trying to, trying to break it. And you would have all of that sort of Dan and Lori friction. Uh, no, no pun intended. Yeah. I, I mean, I think we both agree, though, that the next story should be about Dan and Lori, though. Like, it should be about Night Owl and Silk Spectre. Um, that's what the next series should be. I think that's sort of what I'm getting from our conversation here. Yeah, because, again, you know, they're the most uh, they're the most grounded in a way. Like, you know, Doc Manhattan would just come in and, like, snap a couple of fingers and just, like, everything is, 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 is put back in place. So I feel like with those two you have the sort of the most, you know, storytelling ability. Yeah, I agree. Awesome. So, you know, let's just uh, put it out here. If uh, more Watchmen stuff comes out in this vein, we're, we're probably going to, to be reviewing it. I'd say that's, that's fair. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So I'd like to thank everybody for listening. If you could give us a rating and review on the podcasting service you use, we really appreciate it. If you want to follow the podcast, we're on Twitter, and that is at Construct Compod. 
Instagram is Constructing Comics Pod and Facebook is Constructing Comics. I'd like to once again thank you for listening. Please be safe, be nice, go out there and make some comics that make Alan more upset. 